Hello everybody, welcome to episode 83 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. My name's Rod Murray and on this episode what matters is Jason Day's in-depth course architecture analysis, what's starting to look like a possible Tiger Phil pay-per-view flop, more big time TV money flowing into the game. Have we had enough of Mollywood yet? I certainly have. Who actually should be in the Hall of Fame and plenty more as well. Joining me to break down the good, the bad and the ugly of golf as we know it are two of the most forthright voices in the game from the US. Commentator, blogger, critic, author and podcaster Jeff Shackelford. Jeff, no doubt you're feeling refreshed from the almost full week off between the end of last season and the beginning of this one. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And I'm very excited just because I read last night that it'll be two weeks next year between the tour championship and the beginning of the PGA Tour. Millennial entitlement, Jeff. They want two weeks off. It's unbelievable. Uh, Looking forward to chatting Uh. today. From here in Australia, former touring professional, columnist, course architect and committed anti-backstopping campaigner, Mike Clayton. Clayton's good to have you aboard. Looking forward to your input today. Thank you, Rod. Let's, uh, let's start with that old chestnut. Jeff, it's mid-October 2018. We're already in week two of the 2019 US tour season. Have I woken up in some parallel universe? Why do we do this in golf? Why is there no off-season in golf? Is it too much? Well, of course it's too much. Uh, the, it's a universal sport now. It's global. It, 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 uh, there are people in different places and always have been that want to lure golfers to uh, play for money and and it's it's uh wonderful that they have that it's just uh, it's just I, I think as a fan it's well it just asks too much and i it's fascinating to me that i i just i just ignore certain things i, I clearly we know clates is ignoring this week because we had to tell him <laughs> what the tournament was um is there but, a tour of it this week he and it's amazing how some golfers are, are offended that, that I, as a golf writer, am not uh, tracking the, the CIMB Classic closely. I am tracking uh, the golf at Walton Heath because Walton Heath is just beautiful and fascinating to look at. And um, and the European Tour season is still going, but I could care less about uh, the, these Asian Tour stops. They're they're just uh, you just sense the guys are there because they have to be, and they're grabbing the points and the money and. And um, the golf courses aren't very interesting, and it's um, can't be healthy for the sport, but it continues on. It's quite bizarre. Uh, Walton Heath, Clates, what a joy it's been to be watching it. I've seen two drivers off the deck this week, Clates. That's an 80s shot, isn't it? Oh, uh, uh, Rose did it today, too. Didn't, did, did Andy Sullivan hit that one to about six inches? Was that the one that you saw? Was it Andy Sullivan? Yeah, he had a great one. Uh, he he got had a great one, yeah. With it. What's that about? A great why, one that, why are they hitting drivers off the deck this week? Well, it's firm, hard turf, so it's easy to hit. You're not sort of slashing through long, wet grass, so it's just like hitting off a bit of concrete. So it's always the um, best turf to play off in Britain. So it's beautiful, the turf over there. So I want to go there, Clint. Is it as good as it looks on TV? Well, this is terrific, yeah. it's um, my, It was my first introduction to Heather. Because you get in the Heather and they'll all tell you, it looks like you can hit a five on out, but just take your sandwich and chop it out sideways because it just falls down when you try and hit it. So it's a Frank Nobolo won, lost around there. And Andrew Murray won the European Open there when the course was so baked out and hard. It was two irons were going 260 and 70 yards. They were running 100 yards. And it's brutally difficult when it's. It was actually too hard to be. It actually wasn't much good, but it's normally bouncy and fun and. It's got some great greens, and those last couple of holes, 16 and 17, are 
great long four and a beautiful par three. So it's a tremendous course. And the last real proper Ryder Cup course they played on in Europe, 1981, was a long time ago. Isn't it interesting, Shaq, to watch as a spectator? It's so much more enjoyable than what's going on in Malaysia. So we're getting it almost back-to-back here in Australia. The afternoon is Malaysia, and then the evening, you have a little break for dinner, and then about 7.30 at night, Walton Heath comes on. And my goodness, having them so close together, that what you see yeah. in Malaysia and what you see, what a style. Why can't we just play more of this sort of golf? It's better to watch. Well, it's, well, it's- so we are. I mean, I think we are. That's the good news. Uh, and more and more people are seeing the difference between these two you really could not have a better juxtaposition this week uh the the heather and all the texture and the and the uh the colors yeah yeah and the ball running and and then malaysia's just this kind of dull gray soft golf um yeah and that course doesn't even look as wet as it has been in recent years it actually looks from the few shots i've seen decent um but it's uh and then the architecture is just just kind of dreary so it it is exciting that more people are getting this and more people are getting up for a venue. Uh, and even, you know, Le Golf National is not our kind of architecture, but you did sense there was, and the setup was just abhorred, but you sensed that um, it had something compelling about it. So I think where we've made great progress in convincing all the people involved in golf, they've, they've made some big efforts in recent years. Now, occasionally, like the Scottish Open, you know, toying with uh, 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 Cruden Bay, for instance, and it didn't happen because they went. They're going to go to the Renaissance Club because of money, and um, there's still things like that happening. But more and more tournaments and tournament directors and tours are looking to great venues to differentiate an event, and they value the venue more. So that that's I, I, that's what I would say to to that. Maybe not in Asia yet, but certainly uh, in the United States. And I think they're going to the tournaments that have done that are going to be rewarded because the players are increasingly more picky about uh, a venue. They're not all there yet, but compared to 10, 12 years ago, they'd go where the money was. And I think you're going to see when the schedule gets jammed into this, this tight window, uh, for instance, players just find Innisbrook to be a, a more, um, a better test of skill and strategy and thinking and creativity than uh, Bay Hill, for instance. So you're going to people are worried, for instance, that Innisbrook's going to get slaughtered being the week after the players. And I said, well, let's see. I, I think Bay Hill, a lot of guys won't play the week before and they'll play after because they like Innisbrook better. So I, I, I think it's a, that's a real positive right now in, in uh, the sport, the trend anyway. Yeah, that's really interesting. Until, until they all hit it too far and these places are uh, not usable, which we're already kind of at that point. For those playing the drinking game, uh, hook into you first. <laughs> Which went to a conversation I had with someone who plays on the women's tour last week about they should start playing much better golf courses because they can go anywhere in America. That they, you know, if they, if assuming the they want them, they, which is a yeah. trick, but you know, I mean, they can. What's Wiltshire like? I saw they played there. Well, that was a huge success. And Wiltshire's yeah. got tons yeah. of character. Um, they played it late in the, uh, the day, so it was on primetime in the East. and. Um, it just looked great on TV. It's got a ton of character in, in person, but it, that popped on, on, on the big screen. And then um, the players loved it, and, you, and it brought out some great golf. It brought out interesting shot-making. So, and the club uh, was absolutely ecstatic because that event came together very quickly. 
I don't think they knew what they were going to get. And the response those members got from people around the country to what they saw on TV made them really proud that they have that event. They have it one more year at least. And um, so I think that was a great example of of what, um, you know, when you go to a club and you say, well, uh, uh, hosting the LPGA and they don't get excited, but then, you know, if the situation's right, it, it, it can be great and great fun. And then as a lot of the members who played the Pro-Am found out, the, the women are uh, wonderful to play with in the Pro-Am and the format's fun. And um, so it was, it was just an incredible home run for an event that was announced in December and played in April. So, uh, and that was right. It also was well-situated near the com- Korean community, which is probably why they should have a U.S. Women's Open there. It, it, it would be sensational. Well, the big advantage of that too is that they can go to all those courses that are too short for the men. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the list is getting longer. I'm interested in your take on the golf national. As you said, it's not the sort of course that I think any of us would naturally be drawn to and whatnot. But you wrote a piece saying it was probably the best Ryder Cup venue we'd seen for a while. What are you trying to say there? I think a lot of us found that a bit. Oh, what's Shaq talking about here? What did you mean by that? Well, you had some risk reward moments in the round, and they did a pretty good job with the setup in terms of. The, the short par four that I, I, I thought was pretty cool with the mound in the front. Um, the, the, the rough and everything was just absurd. I, I was disappointed the Americans didn't uh, just start hitting it off into the corporate tents and taking drops just to, just to show it up on a few holes. I think if Phil had played more, he might have. But um, So there was that. You had great risk-reward moments. Um, and then you had these areas. It was well, It's well-designed for a Ryder Cup because you had – these areas of kind of clumps of holes around the beginning of the round, that the, the arena feeling of numbers one, two, and the third tee was so great, um, really fun, and uh, just I mean, almost surreal to just kind of stand there and watch and, and look, and the whole thing just surrounded by people, and the, and then you have the Ender Ryder Cup energy, and then um, there was a great little stretch of of holes, and they're not great holes, but uh, again. Just a sort of an arena feeling of basically the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and tenth, and eleventh, and a little bit of the twelfth. Uh, the twelfth is just a, it's just a ghastly hole, but um, um, it, it it was a so and then for match play, and then you had the finishing holes, and uh, it's it too bad more matches didn't get to the finishing holes, but the Europeans were uh, unprecedented in their ability to end matches by the fifteenth. So it was it was just compelling that way. And um, the greens are just dead flat, and our guys overread them. Um, so, what what hours was it on for you guys down there? Oh, middle of the night. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, middle of the night. As oh, well, they yeah. teed off at they teed on the the first couple of days. They in the in the matches they teed off at eight in the morning, didn't they? So four o'clock in the, the afternoon. It was four in the afternoon. Yeah. Okay, so you got to see. Great. Yeah. Finishing four at three thirty yeah. the next three thirty the next morning. So yeah, which yeah. was good. So anyway, it was. Yeah. And then, by the way, and then the last point on that is, is just compared to the Belfry and the K Club and Celtic Manor, and I mean they've just had such dogs over there of just just lifeless uh, places that were. And oh, and it was in incredible shape, and they had they had the ball running. Of course, they were rolling some areas and fairways near the lakes. I mean, just chintz. If we had done that, they would have been howling, just howling. Uh, just funny. Anyway. Uh, the, Mind you, the only ball, the only ball I saw go in in the lake on the first hole was the European one. So. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember who it in there. So someone did, but I think it was, it was uh, was it Olsen? 
Hatton. Didn't he Hatton, use first, Hatton, yeah, first shot of the Ryder Cup straight into the water? Right, right. And, uh, Olison just hit it straight in the water. It was a no-brainer. It was Hatton's that just trickled, trickled I think. And yeah, Finau nearly went in as well. In fact, a couple of them ended yeah. up standing on the, the yeah. wood over there, didn't they, having to chip back to the fairway? Yeah, because they talked about it was running faster than the greens yeah. down the left side of the fairway. The only encouraging thing I thought, Clates, when I watched it was there was short grass around the greens, which made there was that par five with the strange kidney shaped green. Was it nine, Shaq? The ninth. The ninth. The ninth yeah. yeah, which there was some really interesting shots around that green um, from the short grass. Not not Molinari's. The two, what they to eight minutes they took to find his ball in the rough there? Eight minutes, I think, from memory. Yeah. After he had his second yeah. shot in the rough there. And it landed eight metres from the marshal. So it was only just over oh, there. Yeah. So. Well, that's the way that stuff was. I mean, it could be really, it could be eight feet from you and you couldn't find that's it. Just, that's just crazy yeah, stuff, it isn't it? it? Was a Not to mention the potential injuries, Clates, hitting out of it. I know. Yes. Anyway, so I didn't intend to talk about the Ryder Cup, but there you go. Uh, it just came up. So, you, what do you reckon, Clates? Do you reckon we're starting to see more good golf courses and quality golf being used? As you say, the problem is that many of the the great golf courses of the world just aren't up to men's professional golf anymore, are they? No, they're too short because Jason Day said the ball's going forever and didn't see the young the incongruity and. The fact that the ball's going forever statement, he, thought, he thinks it's the architect's fault. But I thought Trinity Forest was great this year. Yeah. That was a kind of a not a revolutionary course, but it's certainly a very interesting course for the tour to go to. And yeah, the European Tour has been good. Obviously, the Dunhill last week's a great event with those three courses and Walton Heath this week. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah. they're playing the World Cup at my club, Metropolitan, this year. Same week as Tiger and Phil are playing in their match, which is a pity. Those guys should actually, they would have done everyone a whole lot more good if they'd teamed up and come down and play the World Cup for $8 million purse. But we go, I think we went past 13 Americans before we came up with Matt Kuchar and Kyle Stanley, which will be who will be good. But Both good players, but as you say, it's a shame. Let's just back up. We'll talk about the Tiger-Phil thing in a minute. The day stuff was interesting, wasn't it, Clayton? I'll, I'll read you the question and the full answer because it's, it's all been pulled out and, you know, everyone's talked about this one particular. There was some interesting stuff yeah. in the whole article. So the question was, if the ruling bodies at Augusta National were to institute a limited flight golf ball for professional events, would that be good or bad for the game? This is a lengthy sit-down interview with Golf Digest that he's done. This was Day's response. First off, people would still play the Masters, which is true, which is interesting. But if they did that, then they better shorten the tees again. If we have limited flight balls, we're going to have four irons into number seven and things like that. Let's just stop there. What do you think about that, Chad? Didn't I'm sure I heard uh, maybe Byron Nelson talking about the 14th hole on some old commentary on you saying, well, we used to get four woods into here. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how's that for missing the point that, in fact, not number seven's a bad example. It was never designed to have a four iron hit into it necessarily. Right, but, right. Yeah. but just that notion of the entitlement of, uh, of hitting short irons into all par fours, it's telling yeah. that comment, isn't it? No, they've gotten so used to uh, having really nothing more than a six iron into a par four that, yeah, it would shock them to have to hit something. I mean, like you said, he picked a, a, an example that, that's that's silly. I mean, that hole is silly now, the way they've linked it and, and how narrow it is. But, of course, what he, what he also doesn't address is that um, – yeah, well, they could also if they if they had a tournament ball, they also could stop the fairway mowing technique that slows down the drive, so you could actually get the ball running again, um, and that would make the course more interesting, more difficult, uh, and would not require shorter tees. 
Here's what he said next, and I think there's some interesting stuff in here which I'll come to you for, Clades. But do I want the ball to go shorter? No. Why? Isn't it fun watching Dustin Johnson crush a drive over a lake 300 yards away? No one wants to see someone plot it down the right and not take it on. That's boring. What would you say to that, Clades? Because this is an argument that a lot of people make, that, that people want to see the pros hit the ball miles and miles. What do you reckon about that? Well, in that specific example, which was last year at the, one of those end-of-season events. So he's saying that no one wants to watch Jordan Spieth because he hit it down the right. So he's saying that no one wants to watch the way Jordan Spieth plays golf. Is that what he's saying? Uh, not directly, and but yes, <laughs> you could draw that conclusion. Well, that's what he's saying because Jordan Spieth couldn't hit over the water. So we're saying that no one wants to watch anyone play golf like Jordan Spieth does. That's the first thing he said. The second, without thinking about it, no doubt, the second thing is that and I, we keep coming back to it, is that was watching Jack Nicholas and Greg Norman and Stevie Ballas, Jason Sampsneed so bad that we have to have the ball go 50, 30 yards further than they hit it to make the game interesting. I mean, clearly that's preposterous too. So on every level, it's it. Well, wait, and then also, Clates, when everybody hits it far and there is the lack of variety now in the styles of play, how is that more interesting? Yeah, well, yeah. People right. have Everyone... always been drawn to a variety of styles and a clashing of styles. That's it's that's way more fascinating, and then it makes you admire the long hitter that much more. Well, it was such a democratic game in the sense that everyone could play: short hitters, long hitters. Yeah, but short people, tall people. If the, yeah. If, if the short hitters had the had the requisite skills in other parts of the game, they were great iron players or great bunker player. Like Gary Player could compete with Nicholas because he was such a great bunker player, great putter. He, he can play with Nicholas and Palmer. So, so the danger is that you drive the creative Corey Pavin, Larry Nelson, Hale Irwin type play completely out of the game because it's not competitive and you want to play golf like that. So you just finish up with you know, this smashing contest. Oh, I think it's I, – I think we're starting to see it. We're going to see it in college golf here if we aren't already where people are recruited – on their ability to to uh, launch it, and then we'll, well worry they, about the rest later, kind of thing. And, yeah. and it's well, they're recruited trending. on their they're recruited on their trackman numbers, right? Yeah, watch oh your, yeah. Watch your smash factor. There's a kid at my club who went and played the amateur circuit in America this year, and he hits the ball a long way. I look, look, he hits a looks like a hell of a long way to me. He said there was one guy I played with who was shorter than me. I was either average or shorter than average. He said it was wow. just, oh, you can't believe how far these kids hitting the ball. Yeah. Is it so, more exciting, Shaq? Is it more exciting? It, I mean, exciting it, is, when... it is exciting to see, isn't it? Watching someone, that Cameron Champ, you you can't help but want to stand next to him. Just listen to the sound of the, the ball coming off the club. But you is it a bit like think... fast food in that it tastes nice for a while, but you can't live on it? Yeah, no, well, one in Cameron Champ's case, I think we discussed this after the Walker Cup last year at some point, but it, it what's scary about him is <laughs> you don't you don't feel like you're watching somebody like you felt like when Davis Love came along or maybe Seve or John Daly where somebody just had this incredible raw power where it truly was you went out there to see it and see the way they swung it and you felt like you were seeing something different. With Cameron Champ, uh, the flight of his ball. Now I haven't watched him play since that Walker Cup, but the flight of his ball was was not anything extraordinary looking. And then you get out there, and he's just sixty yards by people, and it was uh, by who are good good long hitters, or fifty yards, and and so it wasn't 
as um, awe-inspiring as, as those other people. Whereas I saw Davis Love when he was a rookie, and you could see by the flight of his ball, it was different. Um, and now you, you really can't decipher once it goes a certain distance. You just can't decipher. And I yeah. know we've covered this before, but it, if you had a focus group, most of them could not tell the difference between 285 and, and 310. I'm pretty. I'm positive. I. I'm sure I'd confuse a few too. I'd go, oh, that one. Yeah. You just. It's so at a point. It's only interesting when it's covered the right way by television and the and the architecture is such that uh, somebody's driving a par four and you're watching. And again, the excitement is not the the launch of the ball. It's the, seeing what it does on the ground and then the player reaching the green. Yeah. That's what's exciting. <laughs> I see. He um he led the. Strokes gained driving last week. How that about tournament. that? And he hit less what? than 50% of the fairway. Right. How about that? that that's a staggering that's statistic. Point. That's to the, the point where you're going to Give him the number. You're going to say, yeah. Yep, Give him that, the and that's what, what was the strokes gained? Plus 6.75, oh. I think it was, off the tee. He gained 6.75 shots per round over the field off the tee. On a narrow golf course, by the way. It didn't have a lot of rough, but it still it doesn't need it. It's a narrow. It's got a lot of net narrow holes. So, and I, I we have this going on, and I I, I feel like we probably are re, we've been redundant. But in baseball right now, we have the same thing where it's all about launch angle, um, and the small ball element is 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 dying now. It'll be interesting in our playoffs right now. Great pitching exposes the launch angle obsession, and just in in golf, great architecture can still expose just the bomb and gouge but it's very hard now it's they hit well, it so far they it's just that there's just nothing you can do unless the ground is just rock hard oh watching that playoff last week with kevin tway on the first hole of the playoff he took a couple of practice wings and he looked kind of a little nervous but which was understandable and i thought there's not a chance this guy can hit this fairway he's just going to bomb it so far it's, yeah. it's, it was a one in ten chance he was going to drive that thing on the fairway and of course he hit that thing way left into the trees and I think he got a decent bounce out, and then of course he made the four. But you know, most courses that drive just you're out of the playoff with that drive. But it, it was just clearly I'm going to stand here and bomb this thing as far as I can down there and see what happens. Which is not the player's fault. We've got to make that. It's not their fault. No. That's the game that's being presented to them. That's the best way to succeed. Sure, sure. And they're yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can under, not to pick on Jason Day, but I think what he said sort of reflects the attitude of the players in many ways, isn't it? Which is kind of this is the test we're being presented. So this is the way to deal with it. We'll come to his next statement in a moment. The problem is the architects. But before that, Clates, on the whole distance thing and the old ball and the old clubs and the different sort of games, talk a bit about that. It went viral that fourteen minute video that you did with Lucas Herbert a couple of weeks ago, where Lucas who is. Whoa. I don't know about this. Um, it wasn't that viral. Oh no, I gotta pull this up right now. <laughs> Clates and Lucas is in the same room. No, we, uh, we're at Commonwealth. Oh, nice. Here it is. Wow, this is going oh, I got an exciting afternoon ahead. It's it so, is. It's, it's fantastic. Tell them what happened, Clates. So fill fill the listeners well, in. Well, we went down to Commonwealth Golf Club, which is uh, where he's a member. Good golf course. Not that it might, might, not that, that that makes any difference to what came out. So we had new driver and new golf balls. Then we had new driver and old golf balls, which I got from a friend of mine, the Prada Club here, which were 30-year-old balls, which some bloke on America came on, some web.com tour player came on and said, well, that test is a joke. Those balls are dead. They're a farce. So 
and then we had the old driver with new balls and the old driver with old balls. So my it was an old, it was a Joe Pal driver, which was actually brand new in a sense. That a friend of mine gave it to me two months ago. The head was in bubble wrap. It had never had a shaft in it, so we should we mm. shafted it up and so and a trackman clutch. You had a trackman as well and a trackman. Yeah. So new ball, new new driver, one twenty club head speed, spin rate. Two three two six whatever that means, carry. So so this is in meters into 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 the wind on a cold day. So it wasn't that strong wind. Two sixty three meters. So two hundred two ninety yards. Two hundred ninety yards. So then he went to the new driver and the old balls. So this guy Patrick Sullivan, his name was, who claimed that well, that tested joke. The balls are dead. He was flying the old balls, two hundred and forty eight point six meters. Two seventy yards. <laughs> so, so, which actually is an argument against us because that's that's saying that there's only fifteen yards difference between the new ball and a ball that's supposedly a thirty year old ball that's supposed to be dead. So, those numbers are saying that the, the modern ball is only going fifteen yards further than the ball that we all played with in nineteen eighty was going. Anyway, the old ball, old driver, new balls. The carry was two hundred and thirty nine point six. The old driver, yeah. the old driver with the old balls. The carry was two twenty four meters. So two hundred. So forty yards shorter than that. Two hundred fifty yards. The, the, yeah. What was interesting was Lucas is a modern player. A basher is not the right word because he's actually he's now in the top sixty on the European tour in the in the race of Dubai. In fact, he's well inside the top sixty. Starting off the year with no status and a couple of invites, so he's had yeah, a great yeah. year. He, he's, he's, he's a player, played really well. He's a player. He's a good player. Yeah, but he's a modern player who's grown up. He said, "My teacher taught me speed from when I was thirteen years old. Speed, 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 clubhead speed." So he's a he's a basher in that, that sense. But there are lots of bashers out there. We give him a small head, and he couldn't hit it. He had no clue how to get the thing on the face. Embarrassing. A big high sky hooks into left trees. Uh, that, that 224 number was about the one good one he hit out of 20 balls. Wow. Yeah. So there are some <clears throat> young players. I played with Brady Watt last week who made the semi-final of the US Amateur at the right, yeah, club that very, very, Matt Fitzpatrick yeah. won. And we, yeah. went out with the, we, we went out with the same balls and the same driver. and He could hit it. In fact, he had a couple of 285-yard rips with the, the old ball, supposedly dead ball, right. and, a <laughs> and a wooden driver. So it was in that sense, you know, there were a couple of things that were, that were interesting. But the interesting, you know, the old, the new drive with the old balls, and he was flying at 250 metres, 275 yards for the 30 year old ball. So, right. You know. might, might be sort of more the club than the ball, even though we still think probably the ball. Well, so, yeah. so, so, what was your takeaway, I mean, Clay? Was it the club head size? The club. Yeah. The, well, the club, well, he had one of those tailor made kind of. Hit it all over the face, and you had a decent shot. Driver, is that what, what's, right. what's that called? Twist face, twist, twist face. Yeah, one of the, yeah. So, the two inches longer, graphite shaft, massive head. Learn to smash as far as you can. So, whilst the ball clearly is, well, there's a 15 yard difference between the, the balls. The the, the 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 club is such a massive contributor to the to the whale away. Swing as fast as you can. Yeah, way they play Which the game. Been- you know, Adam Scott's really the only elite player who's been on that 
on that uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, really, I mean, you know, I, I would love to see that that tournament played. The the our the, the uh, experiment. Yep. No, 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 not persimmon. Just a smaller. Oh, okay. Headed driver. Yeah. Are you talking and the about- companies will say, "Oh, it's an R and D issue. We can't make a three thirty cc or a three hundred cc, and it'll take years of study." And so, you know, you'll have to do that. Uh, you have to play that uh, that game with them. But um, I think it'd be so fascinating to see see a tournament like that. Of course, the irony was that Lucas, as he struggled with the the persimmon driver i said just pretend you've got to stay on the last hole here and you've just got to hit the fairway to win the tournament just it doesn't matter how far it goes just get it down there on the fairway and he eventually did that but he of course the very next he, he flew off to portugal that this we did the test on a friday so he flew to portugal i think the next day to play in the portuguese open or the portuguese masters and lo and behold what happened tom lewis tom lewis made a 50 foot putt for a par on the par five 17th hole to stay one ahead of Lucas. So Lucas Ooh. absolutely had to hit the fairway in the last hole with his twist face trailer made driver. Where did he hit it? 30 yards into the lake on the left. Yeah. But he, he finished second and, you know, he, he went from being right on the edge of getting a tour card to 64th and then he went to the downhill and finished seventh. Yeah. So he's had a terrific year. So you can clearly play. The question is, Clates, is your instinctive, is your gut feeling, the difference obviously between Lucas and Brady, what there? It feels to me like the players would adapt fairly quickly. It doesn't feel like Lucas did necessarily that day, but give him a week. And right. Will oh, be yeah. be able to play with these golf clubs just as effectively in that sense as. I mean, it's. Well, a, cu- a, cu- a couple of things. Brady's a bit older, like four or five years old. So he probably started playing with smaller heads, whereas Lucas never did. And my point at the end was Jones adapted his swing and his game to Hickory and Nicholas adapted and the Snead adapted their swing and their game to steel. And the, and the modern players is adapting to frying pan drivers and graphite. So, so they swing the club the way the club's almost telling him to swing it. There's no way Lucas sure. Herbert would swing the way he does if he if he learned to play golf the hickory shaft. And Bobby Jones wouldn't have swung the way he did if he'd learned to play the graphite and titanium. Yeah. So it's not the players' fault that they play the way they do. They're just playing the they're just swing the way the clubs are telling him to swing. You know that that topic would be a great topic if if you could ever get Tiger <clears throat> to go really deep. Because he he and Phil are interesting in that they've played in a time with the biggest change in clubs yeah. in in the course of their career, and of course Tiger ha- has always said that 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 a great player would be great in any era, um, and I, I I think he believes that. Um, but I I do think he also has he he's well aware of the adjustments he's had to make. And he ha- he's thrown it out a few times, I think, in interviews. But he- I think he feels like it sounds like an excuse, so he doesn't go too deep on it. But as you know, he's he still has hit uh, persimmon clubs uh, for years as as a practice tool, and it would it would be really fun to hear him uh, go deep on that topic of just just uh, again and not you know, people would have to understand that it's not whining. It's just at the time they he came along. He was at the tail end of persimmon and steel, and look where we are now. It's an amazing change, and no other no other era has seen that big of a change in what 20, uh, 20 years. 
Yeah, Still Sharks. Sharks Haskell Ball? The, was the Haskell Ball a big, as big a change? It might have been, maybe. But yes, you, certainly not in our lifetime. Certainly not sort of recorded uh, in that sense. Weight, weight of clubs too. I mean, that's the other thing. Just the, It's so different. Yeah. yeah, the clubs are so much lighter now. The, the, t- Tiger's last chapter in the book he did with Lauren Rubenstein. Yeah, yeah, he gets terrific. Right, yeah, 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 yeah right, yeah. But it'll be interesting to contemplate, one, if he'd stayed with Titleist, Two, if he'd stuck with a Scotty Cameron putter. Three, if they'd continue to play the professional ball or even the ballada ball and they'd play with small-headed drivers. So four things there. If he'd stay, So one, from signing away from the company that made the best equipment, Titleist, uh, if they'd stuck with a small driver, played with the equipment of the professional ball and he stuck with a Scotty Cameron putter instead of changing to that Nike putter, would he have won more tournaments? I mean, I mean is that yeah? Well, kind of, I think you know, I would say it's a fair question, but I think it's an even bigger question in Phil's case. Yeah, I mean, he played some real junk there. Well, Jan, <laughs> after his, how bad with those? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. The <laughs> pink stuff wasn't. Uh, I'm not knocking ping, and I'm certainly not knocking Callaway. It's, the Yonix was just horrific. <laughs> <laughs> there are those who think that those of us who think we should take the ball backwards. Um, are just sort of nostalgic and so there are very good and real reasons why the ball should go shorter. Can we just run through some of them again that have got nothing to do with the way the game's played? Things to do with maintenance and the size of the footprint of the game. All of these things which are much, much bigger than golf, aren't they? And if golf doesn't get with the program and have a smaller footprint, golf is going to continue to shrink. I saw a piece during the week from the uh, there's a mayoral candidate in Canada somewhere, maybe in Toronto, who used the words, you know, these these golf courses that the city owns, they're going to spend $10 million on making them better. They should be shut down because they shouldn't be closed off for this exclusive sort of use. It's easy to convince people who don't play golf that the game is exclusive and takes up too much resources, isn't it? If golf doesn't get smaller, it's going to perhaps disappear in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the, the acreage that these things take up and you see it and you just say, even I start to look at some and in a city and you just think, wow, yeah, that is... That's a lot of space for, for one sport, and uh, obviously the, the the time issue is is a big one. Uh, the stretching out. I mean, we've we've probably gone through all of them, but uh, time, resources, um, scale uh, of of just difficulty of building something great. On the bigger the scale, uh, I mean, imagine a, a painter, you know, Rembrandt. If you told him he has to paint on a canvas that's that's uh, 25 feet by uh, by 30. Uh, well, he's you know the detail and the the attention to detail and the craftsmanship is going to suffer as the canvas expands. I mean, you just can go on and on, and it's really hard to design. The the bigger things get, and more spread out they get. Um, and then I just you know, but I'm I'm mostly uh, on the time thing. We had a chat. I was on the Callaway. Uh, uh, I think it was on the fitting pod, not the ship show. No, it was the ship show with, um, yeah, with uh, AJ Vopel just played this this par three course in Portland, and they've really clearly got the the operation of it dialed in with sort of a craft beer and winer tasting element, and um, and then he just loved playing a par three, and you're starting to see a group of younger people who weren't part of the era of the stigma attached to a par three course. Uh, going and and having a par three or a, an executive course. Remember, executive was a bad word. An executive yeah. course, and they're going to these places without that 
knowing about that stigma of par 72 and whatever and and a uh, high-end daily fee and all these different things and and if the place goes and they have a good time and it's in a reasonable amount of time they they they're like wait wait a second what is, this was great why don't we have more of this so you what's fun is you're now seeing people who who don't know enough about some of those things we were told were the way the game was supposed to be played questioning the the model and it always generally comes down to usually uh the scale of the whole thing and they 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 don't and and they resonate the thing that's not as drawn out and and a a long drawn out uh affair is resonating more so what do you make of tom doke was down here last week i spoke to him about it about mammoth dunes that the david kidd course in sand valley wow and speaking of scale (laughs) Wow! and and the proposed doke 6,000 yard past 68 course to go next to it I I think it's I think it's phenomenal I've wondered why it's taken Mike Kaiser so long to at one of these places uh do what Tom's doing and I and I mean I was reading about sand hills and or uh, about uh excuse me mammoth dunes at sand valley and it and just reading some of those numbers and just thinking well, this will be really interesting to see if people, if this something on this scale resonates with people, and then to hear what Tom's doing, um, I think it's going to be huge, and I think it's going to be eye-opening and um, uh, fantastic. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, well, I know what he thought of Mammoth Dunes. I, I, I think he thought, well, well, I don't want to say too much, but. He, he, well, I'm he, sorry, I mean, it's obvious. He thought he it was the end doing of, a six thousand yard course. He just thought, yeah, I, we've, you've got to do something that's the opposite of. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So he thinks that that, that the wide, massive, wide open space thing has gone way too. You know, that's the ultimate of the the the, the game going way too far in the area, the the direction of wide and long and options. He said it, it's so big and so wide that yeah. The game needs something else. He's not the only uh, one who thinks that, is he, Clates? In fairness, that's been a criticism from a few different people to say yeah, that this yeah. is it's too much. It's too yeah. far the other way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, indeed. Is that important though, Shaq? Just to, to have mammoth dunes, not to single it out, but to have an example of what happens if you have too wide and too big, uh, so that we can all know what that looks like in a funny way. It's probably doing a job, isn't it? To well, it depends on what the takeaway is. Is the takeaway that it's too wide and therefore not challenging, or is it too wide because it's like, holy, holy cow! I needed to call my friends who are on the other side of the fairway on my other cell phone to find out who was away. I mean, it's it's, it's more of a scale. There's two discussions: there's scale and there's strategy. And 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 I think that width is still something to fight for if the if it makes for cool strategy or it leads to you know safety things or dual fairway holes that are that are that are St. Andrews like but um the scale thing will be interesting just to see people's ultimate takeaway and and what if it resonates and and by the way the par three courses at these places are absolutely um expediting this discussion as well because uh you just get the conversation I mean we got it for a long time with the Prairie Club because Graham Marsh's course and Tom Lehman's course are, are pretty big spread out massive golf affairs and then here is our little horse course that's on six acres and it's this totally intimate experience right by the clubhouse and so now you have that at pinehurst you have it at sand valley you have it at bandon dunes and they're these communal intimate fun um 
cool uh, experiences that don't take as long, and and uh, they're they're just people are having a blast at them, and so and people are using natural- them. Shaq, they've proved a hit with the consumer is probably the key to it, isn't it? You can build it, but if no one plays it, then it's been away. But but if they're proving popular, that tells you something, doesn't it? I have yet to hear anything but uh, the packed uh, for all of the ones I just mentioned. I've yet to hear anybody say, oh, it was great early on and now it's died off. Like uh, I only heard, I think we need another one. <laughs> so it's like a do on a Blue Jack National, which is the same. They've even got yes, lights yeah, there, I think, it, it, it yeah. goes to 11 o'clock at super, night. And yeah, love the it. Kids off right. it and yeah. Yep, the kids love it. You know, yeah. To get into so some it, more positive stuff, just and I know I've asked you to do this before, but for people who aren't familiar, just explain the concept of the horse course, which I cannot believe has not taken off, and perhaps this is the time when we might start to see some more of this. The rigidity of golf is something I think that annoys those of us who are traditionalists, funnily enough, because the adventure of golf is one of the great appeals of it, and, and old-school golf was much more adventurous than what we seem to see today. Explain the concept of the horse course, Shaq. Yeah, and I really think it all... I think that change came as a product of the handicap system. I'm convinced that 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 the idea of, of something like the horse course, um, or even a golf course, a full length course designed with it in mind, um, of where basically the person who has the honor decides where you tee off. Now, in a par three course on six acres, uh, it's a lot easier to to move thirty yards and totally change the look of a hole. So we just created. We create a set par three course, but then around most of the holes except one where you're over by this canyon edge, uh, well, two holes. They're right on the canyon. One plays downhill and then one plays back up, but it then falls 200 feet down to a river. Um, we didn't get real flexible there. <laughs> um, but, but you have flexibility and elasticity to, to uh, play the course different ways. You can even start the whole team off in sand. And little you know dunesy sand areas. Um, there's a there's a little version of the course you could you could use a putter. Most of the holes you could even dictate off the tee. All right, we're going to play this with a putter. One of them's like one, one twenty, one fifteen. That would be a little bit of a that would be a little bit of a stretch. But yeah, again, it's, the idea is that you can go have fun. There's it's just like the game of horse and basketball. Whoever whoever sort of won the last hole is has the honor and 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 then can play to their advantage if they want. I've always thought it'd be really interesting to see a golf course designed a full length course with with the um, with some teeing grounds like that. So so it's like a blend of cross country golf with with uh, with traditional and and I think this all all these kinds of things died with the importance of the handicap system to people and be, having to play the course where it's rated from and and maintaining our handicap and playing the place where, you know, so we, uh, you know, all that crap. So, In many ways, the handicap system is one of the great things about golf in as much as it allows everybody to play with it right. and all those things. But, but my goodness, the nonsense that goes on around yeah. it is just what, – what Shaq's outline there, Clates, though, isn't that what we used to do as kids when you were school holidays let loose on the course of the day and you had the place to yourselves, which is a, probably a rarity a lot of places these days, but – You'd make it up as you go along. Why has golf yeah. lost that? It's better when it's like that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, St. Andrews, it was reversible. You played backwards. And what Shaq's talking about was a bit like what we did at Shady Oaks on the par three course where Ben Hogan used to practice. So you, the concept was to, apart from, there's one hole there like yours, Shaq, the fifth hole, which is kind of off the main paddock a little bit. But the concept was to play from anywhere to anywhere. So one of the best holes on the course is from a, is the ninth hole plays a par four from a tee on the other side of the fourth fairway. 
Mm. So, so yeah, just in, inventive golf is fun. I mean, cross country. I mean, we, we all played cross country golf as kids, but yeah, of course. yeah. Sometimes yeah. still do it. I think as um, I, I, I played uh, the the tenth of Riviera. We we would we uh, we played as a par five from the eighteenth tee, uh, and it was great fun to try to figure out where to because it was a three shotter, but to where to lay up uh, and and, uh, and just stuff like that. Just uh, but yeah, you know, obviously there's safety issues. It's not easy to do, but on a on a on a shorter horse course type thing, it, it's more more doable. Golf is uh, better when it engages the mind, Shaq. It's the simple oh, formula, isn't it? You know, stand here, there's the hole. There's no defined fairway and bunkers and hazards. There's the green over there. Figure out how to get there and watch four people take four different routes to get there. Um, yeah. The true joy of the game. It also brings to mind, Shaq, and I'm sure you can speak to this, George Thomas's notion of a course within a course. I read something about this not right. long ago. With I think he did at LA Country Club, which you guys redid not that long ago. Why don't more clubs take this? And I think about my own course, which is a nine-hole course. But with a bit of creativity and a bunch of extra tees, we could play a different golf course every week on a month-long rolling rotation. We could have same, four same. golf courses quite easily without changing anything. Same thing. But putting same some problem. Tees in. Why don't we do it? Handicap. Handicap system. So I'll give you at LA Country Club, for instance, we even went to the trouble of, of, of basically creating four courses based on I'm not going to say loosely, cause, cause, but there were a few deviations from his original uh, set of, of, of holes that he charted out. But basically, we captured the concept of his four – he had four set courses within the course. And, uh, and obviously, those elements were used in the Walker Cup. They're used in club events. And, 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 and you know when they have a 36-hole match, they change the holes sometimes, and they, they, they switch it up. But we really wanted the ultimate thing. The only thing we really didn't get done there was the ability to have those four courses rated for handicaps. And the superintendent could literally set it up. I even gave them names in uh, one of the pitches. I, you know, a couple of old club presidents and uh, the, the, the key founders, and then a, a, a Bell course, a Billy Bell course. And, and uh, so. The, but the, the, the reaction was, well, wait, if I bring out three guests and we're playing the par 69, um, 63, 50 course, um, and the next day it's set up at the 7172 championship course, they're going to feel cheated. Like, you know, that's not, we should be able to play the course the way we, we want. And um, even though we were, the, and we went to the SCGA, the Southern California Golf Association, could you rate? these four courses and they were like of course it's easy it's all it's mostly in the math um it's it's not difficult at all um there would be you know the the one trick is thomas created wings and the greens for extreme hole locations for when you'd shorten a hole by 100 yards or you'd turn a par four into a short par five um but that's what made it so so cool was he built these little intricacies into a few of the greens for the concept and he thought it was just the beginning that people would just take it and go crazy with it, and then we'd have hundreds of golf courses that are as intricate as the old course in their in their day to day variety, and it just hasn't happened. And and so, uh, and it's still not happening. I mean, I'm still blown away at how modern architects have been given this template, uh, and it's just not that complicated. And they're not doing it. And um, I, I'm I'm not I'm not exactly sure why. 
it's it's funny, isn't it, Clay? It's, it's the members themselves who are our own worst enemies in a lot of ways. As I said, yeah. I'm a member at a nine-hole club, which could comfortably be four or even five completely different golf courses on a weekly basis, which would be more interesting for everyone who plays there. And I guarantee you, the members would push back against it for some of the reasons that Shaq mentions and then some others that are just crazy that you can't even think of. What's wrong with us as golf? How did the game get so homogenised? We seem to have taken the adventure out of golf with each passing decade. How do we get it back, I suppose, is the question. Well, people obsess about scores, don't they, too much? I mean, we're, uh, we're rebuilding the Greens of Victoria this year. Great old club where Peter Thompson and Why? Jeff Ogilvy what, were both what, members. What? Well, they're replacing the grass, oh, changing okay. the grass. So they're going from power to bent, and it gives us a chance to fix up three of the greens that were wildly out of character, not wildly out of character, but five and 12 and 17, which were much different from the rest. And so it's a, it's a chance to clean up the golf course a bit, but so the, so they, they've closed the course for, they closed it for two months. They've just reopened it and the members are putting on the fairways. So they're playing a 4,500, 5,000 meter yard, meter yard, whatever. And they're putting on the fairways. But they want the course rated, and they want to put clubs in for they, they want to put cards in for the handicap, and the, the the course reopens in four months. So you know, essentially, it's six months off the main course. But can't they? My point was, can't you just play for four months and put on the fairways and not not, not <laughs> no. worry about not no. worry about scoring in your handicap and competitions? Just play matches amongst yourself and just play golf. But can't you just kind of suspend the the notion of? Scoring for six months, not we want the course rated, we want to play comps, we want to. Yeah, it's just no, it's no, bizarre. I'll anyway, tell you another one I've, I've already heard it uh, about a certain course restored here in Los Angeles, um, and it's 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 easier. It's yeah, yeah, you knew, yeah. yeah, you knew it would be easier. And I've already gotten a couple of members, uh, my handicap's not going to travel well. We're not, we're not. You know, we're going to get killed in team play this year. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, I just don't know. You know I, well, what am I going to say to that? I, I wrote a book on George Thomas. I, yeah. like, uh, I, I, don't, you, are you having fun? Does that matter? And no, nah, nah, it's, it's really about ha- – so handicap system, I think, is the conclusion of this sh- show, Rod, is really uh, more evil than we've probably ever come to realize, or a lot of people have. So h- how much better is Bel Air now than it was, assuming it's better? I, I don't want to comment. <laughs> okay, fine. That's right. Good. Okay, no problem. I, 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 not, I have nothing that possibly could be gained by me commenting. Okay, so. that's right. Fair enough. Um, Which all begs anyway, the question, so, how, do we, how do we then educate the next generation of golfers? I'll start with you, Clades, that, that that golf's actually about fun, not scoring? Because that's what's happened. You're right. It, people have gotten carried away with this whole idea of my handicap's not going to travel, all that sort of other nonsense. How do we educate the next generation of golfers that, in fact, it's much more fun thinking about the shots you have to play than the score you're going to write down at the end. We're just promoting the wrong things, aren't we? I'm not sure. I, well, I mean, I mean, it's, it, I mean and Americans are much better than us at it. We Australians, every time they play golf, they're playing in a club competition. Crazy. Americans, it seems to me, play much more kind of matches amongst each other and they don't play this obsessive. Every time you play, you've got to put a card in and you're in a competition. But... I don't know how you educate golfers. Don't they have to figure it out themselves a little bit? But and going back to Jason Day's point, the the architect's fault. Perhaps it is Ugh. the architect's fault. Well, that, that's clearly ridiculous because Jason, go play Sandhills or Bandon or Sand Valley yeah. or Rustic Canyon or any one of the you know, 
Castle Stewart or Bamboogle and tell me it's the architect's fault. But perhaps it's the architect's fault for not pushing more Thomas's concept and n- not doing what Doke's doing at Sam Valley and saying, let's build a 6,000-yard par 68 course. And you know, Because the, the course we did at Healesville, 5,000-metre five, 5, course, some people love it and some people think it's a complete joke. Well, the people who think it's a joke are the ones who think that the only course that's not a joke is a 7,000-yard championship course. But, I, I, Rod, I think so, it's changing. I mean, that's the good news is it's it's – it it is. It, it, I don't know if we have to educate, other than to keep putting out uh, alternative messages and then and visual. You know, so much of what people respond to now is Instagram and visual. And when you can show them, I mean, just look at this week. I guarantee you, uh, there 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 are a lot of people watching, and they're enamored with Walton Heath, and they're they're looking at the thing in Malaysia and bored. Uh, I, 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 I there are very few people. Uh, looking at the one in Malaysia and getting excited uh, at that golf course, and so it, it's happening with things like par threes. And the, the, where I get where I get concerned uh, for 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 the game is that that stuff is taking place uh, and organically. Where um, where the sport, I think, <clears throat> at least in the United States, has just got a big problem. I think already happening is we have now Top Golf which is very service oriented and it's high tech and all that. And people love that experience for what it is. Uh, but then they go to an actual golf course and, and the experience is, is either super high end and kind of synthetic, like a guy greeting you in the lot and, and with headsets and it's too much, or it's just neglected and depressing. And there's some, you know, guy behind the counter that's just grumpy and nasty and, and the uh, you know they got the hot dogs twirling on the thing from the last twenty years, and there aren't many doing like what John Ashworth's doing, which is sort of keeping the the old vibe of a place, but yeah. freshening up things, freshening up the experience, bringing community events, having great you know great beer and wine on hand or whatever it is that that a younger generation kind of expects on the food and beverage side. So. That's where golf's got to get these places more fun and and friendly and dogs, you know, let people bring their dogs and some of that stuff that um, it's resisted. Otherwise, it'll just it'll just scare people off. And it's um, so the but there are people finding that balance, too. So it's just not enough, though, on the operational side right now to me. I, I agree. With you. I just, I'm just trying to think about it seems to me and maybe it's a generational thing. So I sort of started playing golf in the 80s. Going to the UK with with my mate and, and it was the old course that really did it. You play the old course for the first time, and it's like this awakening. I didn't know grew up in Sydney. I didn't know golf could be like this. <laughs> That's kind of the moment that people need to have, isn't it? You must have seen it, Clay. I've seen it twice at Barnboogle. I've taken mates of mine there who've never thought about golf course architecture, and they still don't think about it in that sense. But they walked off Barnboogle, and that was an amazing experience. They don't know what it is that they've been attracted by, but it's it's clearly the golf course. People need to have those awakening moments, don't they, Clates, to understand what golf can be. And then they'll start to demand more of that sort of golf rather than what we've seen for 30 years. Yep, yep. And it's- but isn't, isn't Barnbrugel a great example, though, of a blend of, of keeping something classy and, and elegant and higher end, but then weaving in, you know, like the gaming room and, and weaving in some elements that are a little bit more uh, with the times and... Uh, a little bit more about just having a good time and relaxing and 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 not being a 
kind of a whole razzle dazzle show of elegance. The luxury of having yeah. two sites yeah. there is almost you, you couldn't put a price on it, can you, Clates? The, the Dunes Clubhouse with the fireplace for those of us of a certain age where you can sip a wine and yeah. talk about the day's golf, and then the sports bar over at Lost Farm, where as you say, you can bet on the horses and the dogs and play pool and eat pizzas. And I've done both, and both are fantastic, but you're absolutely right, Jack. Is that, and that's partly I go. Richard Sattler's a very smart guy, isn't he, Clates? And coming he from is. that that sort of hospitality background, he nailed that side of it at both venues, didn't he? Both do what they're designed to do, which are different things, but they both do their thing really, really well. Yeah, I mean, he knew nothing about golf. He'd never played golf. He'd never, he, so he did an amazing job there of creating something that works because it's a 24-hour experience when you go there. It's so much fun to st- go there, stay there. Have breakfast there. Go and play golf all day. Go to the bar for lunch. Have dinner at night. You know, it's such a great experience that place. And he, he's never put the green fee up. The green fee still pretty much as it was in two thousand and four. I think it's going at, to five dollars this year, which is you know, just it's a <laughs> hundred and you know, it's, it's like for people who haven't been there, it's seventy five or eighty US dollars around. Where what are they charging at Bandon now? Two fifty or three hundred and. US. Yeah. It's 130 Australian dollars for the whole day, Clates. You can play as many holes as you like. Which is just, yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, what people will see in time that Richard Sattler is one of the most significant contributors to Australian golf ever. He, he, for the first time, uh, people in Britain and America have always been able to play world top 100 courses, public course, Pebble Beach and Andrews Pinehurst, but in Australia, we never had that. You know, he, he created the opportunity for people to play two top hundred courses in the world for for a, for a great price, and he, he contributed something to the game that's amazing, really, for Australia. Maybe because, he'll get the World because, Golf Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, oh, yeah but, we haven't even touched well, on that yet. because everyone told him he was crazy. Everyone said this is it'll never work. No one will ever go there, and he took the chance and and did an amazing job of it. But but. Instinctively, he understood that going there had to be fun and enjoyable and great value, and he nailed it. Value probably the most important thing because price and value are two different things. It would still be good value if it cost you double. You just have a lot less people there. But at the price that it's at, it's it's unbelievable value. And, uh, yeah, it's hard work to get there. Uh, You mentioned there, I mentioned it at the start. First things first, have we had enough of Mollywood yet? I have. Uh, Stop flogging that dead horse, please. It was fun for the Ryder Cup week. They are really really enjoying this victory. They are, indeed. Uh, You've got some thoughts on that, Shaq, so we'll get those. And then we're going to talk about, quickly, the Hall of Fame and what should actually get you into the Hall of Fame and who's been up this year. So tell me about uh, the Ryder Cup team rubbing it in, Shaq. Well, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I love that they're celebrating and having a good time, um, but erecting a, a, a faux Hollywood sign at a, at a golf tournament um, for two players seemed a little bit excessive. Um, them waking up together in bed naked was... Am I the only one who thought on that Instagram. was weird? Everyone, it was weird. Everyone it was ranted weird. on about how great that was, and I was just kind of... I thought it well. Creepy. I thought it was... I I didn't... I'm not going to say... Oh, I, I didn't think it was great. I thought it was funny in the 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 way it, it's um, um, rubbing this in, and, and I think it'll backfire on them, but I, I'm amazed at... Uh, how much they are gloating, and they did play beautifully. I mean, they were they were such a good team, and and it was, I I do think they 
if they overdo it, people will forget that uh, it was just an incredible performance and to be thrown together like that. And, and where did that pairing come from? What made it click? And all that kind of gets lost in that. But uh, they are they are definitely pushing the um, envelope on celebratory elements of this. I mean, their Ryder Cup account is still just going, driving. I'm about to unfollow it on Instagram. <laughs> Jeez, all right, we got it. You won. I, I mean, come on, enough. Uh, so I think, I mean, Clates, don't you think there's a danger in eventually them uh, overdoing this? Or, or, or do they have the right to just go and enjoy this? Well, a bit of both. I think inevitably when they go, when they're playing Whistling Straits next time, they'll, they'll you know, assume the Americans will win there. And I was having such yeah. a good day. Why did you have to remind me? Of that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. By the way, that was the other thing on the scale of the venue, Rod. Again, when I was talking about those clumps of holes, you could pop around to other holes. Whistling Straits, it's out and back, out and back. It's it's awful for a Ryder Cup. Go ahead, Clates. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's interesting how I, I suspect the rest of the world delight in America losing the Ryder Cup because that's just sure. the way, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's weird really. I mean, I don't know anyone who's not American who barracks for America in the Ryder Cup. Everyone just automatically follows Europe because I suppose they're the underdogs and, and they love seeing the American team it, it, it implode in, rec, in recrimination after it. Uh, the Mickelson Watson wow. thing and, yeah. you know, and, and what's happened here is even worse. I mean, it's just, you know, poor old Jim Furyk, he, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he made a couple of questionable decisions, but geez, he doesn't deserve this. No. Uh, <laughs> but as Richard yeah. Gillis told us a couple of years ago, that's what you sign up for. He knows going yeah. in. If you lose the cup, there is yeah. no, there is absolutely no, nobody gives you a break. I mean, Patrick Reed no. nearly saved him, but uh, as it turns out in the wash-up, he just delayed things by a week, as it would. Just on the Mollywood thing, Clates, I wanted to ask you as a player, because of course players get famous for all sorts of reasons, not necessarily just their golf. And John Daly still puts bums on seats and that sort of stuff, and it's not because he's been such an extraordinarily successful player. The Mollywood thing, they're kind of victims of that, aren't they? I was thinking about this the other day, Beef Johnston is coming to play, Andrew Beef Johnston coming to play at the PGA at the end of the year. And I feel he is clearly a good bloke who just, there's nothing he can do about it. He's had this beef thing foisted upon him Far more than he would want, I'm sure. But he can't sort of stop it. And Molinari and Fleetwood are probably in the same boat, aren't they? They can't stop this wave of Mollywood nonsense. But it, we need to settle down a bit, don't we? It's, it's just, I feel kind of sorry for the guys at the centre of it. I, Andrew Johnson looks like a genuine... Nah, now wait a second. Now, don't feel sorry for them. <laughs> I mean, Ian Poulter has four Ferraris because he's a Ryder Cup star. <laughs> and Tommy yeah. Fleetwood's... I'm sure his agent's phone is just ringing off the hook nonstop. So Understood. I think they're, uh, I think they're right. enjoying it. What about it. beef, though? What about beef? It's not his uh, beef. I it's don't over know. the top, isn't it? That whole Arby's thing that he did in the States. And My goodness, the poor guy. Just, just his nickname. He, and he, <laughs> he goes along with it. So. He has to. He plays along with it. He started off with it, and he's got the beard. And he's a pretty recognized. He's a decent player, but he's clearly not in the Molinari Fleetwood class who can back up there, back it up with great play. I mean, those two guys were phenomenal. Yeah. Molinari, just what a revelation he's been. I watched him hold about six five-foot putts last night. It's like, where did this Francesco come from? 
Where was he the last uh-huh. 10 years? Just hasn't missed. Let's move on to the Hall of Fame. Some of those guys might end up in there. Uh, Shaq, you clearly weren't overly impressed with who ended up in the Hall of Fame this year, and you weren't the only one. In fact, I think your headline was, is it time to just start ignoring the Hall of Fame? Yeah. It might be, mightn't it? Tell us, tell us your problem with it. Well, I've tried very hard to defend it and, and support it and, and cover it seriously, and despite the obvious flaws and um, despite... Uh, getting rid of the writers voting on on the um, the, the hall inductees as, as baseballs does here in the U.S., which is a great Hall of Fame um, and one that has standards, but also has has recognized all the people throughout the history of the sport that it probably should, with a couple of exceptions over related to controversies and and drug usage and all that. But uh, I just I can't do it anymore when. And I just, it's so, it's a hard thing to say because you don't want to be disrespectful to any of the people who just got in, but it's just, just, just every time we have to keep doing this where there are so many people who contributed to the sport, uh, who are, who have been overlooked and it, it, uh, it gets just, if you know, even a, a shred about the history of the sport, you just say, how does all, how do all these committees get together and, and come up with, with this? Um, I mean, Retief Goosen Again, I, I, it's just not fair to pick on him, but you, know, you have people like McDonald Smith and Ted Ray and, and um, Samuel Ryder. I mean, there's, there's all these people who, in the history of the sport, have have have, have long before him and and are not recognized. And so, how they have not egg had a had a one year. We're go, we're going to go back and fill in the blanks. Uh, Hall of Fame year, which this would have been a great one, by the way, uh, to do that. Uh, and then also just we're going to also create a wing and, and, and we're going to recognize, just like other Hall of Fames, the, 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 the architects, the instructors, the writers, the people who, who did not play in major championships but influenced this game profoundly. I mean, the architects – that Tillinghast, you know, was a struggle for them to get in. I just started doing some research on him for next year for Beth Page, kind of going back and rereading things. Um, and 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 you just, it's just breathtaking what that man did in his life in the game. I uh, mean, you can quibble that he went and took out too many bunkers or something uh, in his PGA of America work, but my God, his contributions on photography, writing, design, promotion. Um, Agronomy. Uh, it just uh, 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 talking, uh, hyping up and coming players, uh, which he he did in his writing. I mean, he was monumental, and it 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 was painful for them to get him in. It took forever, and you just say, well, that that's uh, 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 you know. And uh, Peggy Kirkbell, wonderful, great. Uh, Marion Holland's impact on the game of golf, and and her career as a player and as a developer and visionary. I mean, again, I don't want to be rude to Peggy Kirk Bell, but it's just not even close. It's not even close. Yeah, if you credit, <laughs> yeah, if you if you credit Cypress Point, then you're in. Just just you, that one you, thing, isn't it? Yeah, and and then Pasa Tiempo, and you linked yeah. Jones and McKenzie, and you were a big figure in the game, and you you were a part of really Pebble Beach too, in a lot of ways as a as a as a figure. It's it's just you know. So anyway, so it yeah, Hall of Fame or Hall of Achievement. It's kind of what it comes down to, isn't it? It's supposed to be, is, it, is it a Hall of Fame or a Hall of Achievement? Well, we do seem to get it wrong in golf, don't we? The, the, the list of names that is missing is extraordinary. Well, I'm kind of biased because 
if you grew up in the 70s, Tom Weisskopf was right the list of heroes because right. no, he had the most beautiful swing and the best player, the best record ever at the twinned championships at Augusta and the US Open for, for one never to win. So many close calls there and you know, that great player at the British Open and a you know, commentator, a great swing, a good architect. I mean, yeah. such a, a great storyteller, Ryder Cup player, such a cool guy. I mean, he was in a, in a, in a Legend of the seventies. How can how can Billy Payne be in the Hall of Fame and Tom Weisskopf isn't? I mean, it's yeah. just bizarre. I mean, if he'd rolled the ball that. back, Billy, sure. He'd, oh yeah, we would have first vote. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, totally but, yeah. different story. That's exactly yeah. right. But he didn't do that, so you kind of sort of missed the boat. It's funny, isn't it? and of course you got the LPGA Hall of Fame on the other side, Shaq, which is almost impossible to get into. Maybe too much the other way. So right. Right, and I think that's part of the problem is that this got, this Hall of Fame, when it joined with that, has wanted to try to keep that that standard, the, and that's that's to be admired. The problem is it's ignoring uh, people who, in a sport where those 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 uh, those those people who contribute in other ways, or people like Tom Weisskopf or uh, Bruce Devlin, you know, who people who had these lives in the game beyond their playing years that were. You know, bro- I mean, television broadcasting, it just pains them. The only thing that pains them more than acknowledging writers is the role somebody has as a broadcaster. Uh, and yet, as Clay just noted, you know, Weisskopf, a lot of people, it was, is, uh, you know, what's really important to a lot of people is, is years and from his years announcing. Um, so you can, you, there's so many people like that. Well, not that many, but there are enough that you, and they don't weigh that, they don't care about that apparently and uh uh and it, so it's very strange it's just it's just strange really. and it's the world the world golf hall of fame which is, oh, is, yeah huggy has pointed out many times you know who's crusade to get norman von neider in and not many people would know norman von neider in america but if it's a world golf hall of fame he, he still held, holds the record for the most number of tournaments won in a year on the european tour he was an incredible mentor to Peter Thompson and a whole generation of Australian golfers. He taught the game here. He promoted yeah. it. He went over the world playing it. He, he knew everybody. He was a legend in Australia. Why isn't Norman Von Neider in there? I mean, again, you know, of course, they pick a guy like Billy Payne, not to denigrate what, what, what his achievements were but or are, but how can you have Billy Payne there? You don't have Norman Von Neider in there. Or, or Jim Ferrier, who... Won almost 20 times on the PGA Tour in America, won a major and was a great Australian player. Does the Australian Open count for anything? Apparently not. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, neither should be in Clates simply for telling Peter Thompson all those years ago not to ever wear a hat because I think the quote was, with a head of hairs like yours, son, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the all-time greatest lines ever spoken. Well, Von Neider should be in for when he went to Europe with Peter Thompson the first year Peter travelled away. He on the trip over, he said, "Peter, we'll split our prize money this year." Because and, and 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 he wasn't saying it because he was thinking Thompson's going to make a fortune. I'll make money out of this. He was saying to him, "If you run out of money, that'll be fine because I'll make plenty to cover us both." Yeah. You hmm. know, he, he did things. He, he did things like that were phenomenal. Von Who was the American golfer that he punched in the mouth in the States, Clates? He should be Henry Henry Ransom. Henry Ransom, his name was. Yeah. In fact, was that in LA? I think that he was. A, he accused him of cheating and smacked him in the mouth. Yeah. And yeah, if Von Neider accused you of cheating, you'd probably cheated. Right. Yeah. He's only yeah. old bloke, but you wouldn't want to have been smacked in the mouth by him. I can assure no. you. So uh, yeah, yes, right. he, he should be in. Yep. 
So and it's important in that, you know, the main reason for having a Hall of Fame is to, well, it's, 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 it's not to play favorites, which is what this appears to be doing, but it's to celebrate uh, the, the, the past uh, and to educate people on, on what happened before you. That's, to me, that's the ultimate thing that's beautiful about the Hall of Fame. And, and then these people who were really exceptional, giving them something uh, to, be, to be proud of and to recognize their, their achievements. And it just seems like it's, I don't even know what the, what the actual mission now of this, this hall is. It's a tourist destination, isn't it? I mean, Gary Player's constantly trying to be, flogging trying it on to the PGA be. Tour live coverage as, you know, come to the come to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Let's put that aside. Last two things, which I mentioned at the opening, yeah. last touch of them. Uh, Tiger v. Phil. Started to look like a flop because they didn't play particularly well at the Ryder Cup either, did they? What's been the reaction? There's going to be no crowds, uh, pay-per-view, and not under lights, which were the two things, I think, that you pointed out on your site. But from the outside, it's starting to feel like this might be a bit of a fizz. Could be. Could be, yeah. The... Um I was surprised how much people were upset that the public wasn't allowed to, to, to be in there. Well, it's two guys playing. You can only have so many people following the match. So I don't, I don't, I think people are looking for a reason to hate it. Um, and so that was, that was the standout there on that under the lights is kind of just disappointing. Cause it, uh, that's always been kind of added like an event, um, vibe. That's a little bit different when the few times golf's done it, but, um, I think more the, the the Ryder Cup performance is a bigger <laughs> issue uh, than it, than it is any of these specifics because I think they're going to have a really cool broadcast and they're going to they they really do want to try to build this into something that brings back what we would love is kind of an old shells type thing that travels the world and sees some different things but uh, if this one doesn't go well that'll be tough and so uh, they need to get out in front on this and, and, uh, or they need to have a big spat and, and create some tension. <laughs> Actually, yeah, do a Von Nida, smack each other in the mouth. Yeah. yeah. That'll be yeah. Um, just on that, di- a lot of people thought Tiger might have hurt himself at the Ryder Cup, Jeff. You were there. What did you think? He was very groggy, mm. wasn't he? It was weird. Uh, strange. Really strange. His interview is very strange. Well, he, his, his, uh, I, my, my feeling is they, when, when they showed up Tuesday morning and he was out on playing the practice round, I just shook my head. I, I, I really, um, I really thought after what he went through and winning the tour championship, playing a bunch of golf in 90 degree weather, that he would have, uh, that Jim Furyk or somebody would have said, uh, take a break old fellow. <laughs> yeah, oh, slept on a plane Sunday night if they slept. Uh, much and then uh, you know take the day off Tuesday get 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 the batteries charged we'll we'll give you all the notes Joe Lacava will will be out on the golf course and we'll do the homework because uh, that's kind of how Tiger's approached the year he's been really impressive at how he has just basically um, you know shown up on Wednesday morning in the pro am at a couple of places he didn't know very well or he hasn't played in a long time that's had a lot of changes and performed and so. I understand he felt the obligation to be part of the team, but it clearly caught up to him. I mean, he was he was, uh, and then he had to, and then he had to carry uh, Patrick Reed. That's a, uh, but that interview Saturday was 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 concerning. He was he, he sounded like he was about to fall asleep in the interview. Yeah, indeed. Um, your one word uh, summation of the Tiger Phil thing, Clates. I think you're going to quote Peter Thompson on this. Uh, yeah, demeaning, which was the word Thompson used. Really? Why? Well, he 
he wrote about this years ago saying that players would go for a cheap cash grab. I mean, Thompson hated appearance money, hated cheap cash grabs, and he just thought it demeaning to do it. I mean, I think it's demeaning. I mean, he's, I mean, Tiger's been the revelation of the year, really, more than Brooks Kepka. He's the Tiger. The, the fact that he's come back and played so well has been the revelation of the year. I mean, uh, uh, not, who's putting up the money? It's a great question. Who, who, whose money is uh, it? Well, they have sponsors, and then it's uh, – you know, remember, this is a, the first big venture of uh, Bleacher Report Live. It's basically um, AT&T, you know, has bought these time uh, assets. So this is the first chance to show the synergy of, of AT&T and, and HBO and TNT and all these different networks um, online, um, on, on cable. And so that's really what this is. That's, what's driving this is the ability to show, um, to justify the, the multi-billion dollar <laughs> purchase. It's an interesting and, media and, experiment as much as anything else, isn't it? Leaving the golf aside, Shaq, it's a very interesting media experiment. It's interesting. They've chosen this medium to do this, as you said, all these entities that have sort of come together, um, yeah, well, they're, this is where they're trying to. So we've, we're in this obsession with streaming and cord cutting, um, but 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 sports is still a little behind in providing the thing that makes people uh, want to buy whatever the next uh, streaming service is and get to get more comfortable with with watching a sporting event uh, through those kinds of things and pay per view. And I mean, pay per view is still pretty much limited to 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 uh select games and passes for for sports leagues or boxing and so this is a way to get another sport in there and that's a sport the at&t people like you know there's a so there are a lot of different elements like that and i don't i don't uh, resent that all that i just um i just i i think they've kind of rushed it and they haven't got out in front of what the big picture plan is and from the things i've heard the big picture plan is could be kind of kind of fun i mean it, tell me there's not a now a great uh a great follow-up match of of, of uh you know tiger and phil versus fleetwood and molinari or uh, uh patrick reed versus jordan speed patrick <laughs> reed versus tiger phil and jordan and molinari <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> patrick yeah, reed versus the world beat him too. Yeah. i was gonna say you wouldn't back against him under those circumstances he might be yeah by the way, I don't know what happened. I still haven't found out from the, the, the Ringer people, but on our Shack House, I told a story and it got edited and people all these all thought uh, uh, we tried to cover up for Patrick Reed or something. I, you know, I, I don't know if the editor just, I don't know what happened. She, she, she bungled it. Anyway, the point was, and you don't love this quite, she, and she does this all the time. But still, the idea of, in the Ryder Cup of doing this is amazing. She, she was standing between a, a green and a tee, and I think it was the third hole on uh saturday and she just she just said patrick as he was walking by patrick get your head in the game <laughs> this is justine his wife yeah yeah yeah, yeah justine because his mother-in-law uh, got in on it too didn't she on, on facebook and yeah just crazy stuff that's all very well she started yeah bickering with the editor at GolfChannel.com, and she wouldn't acknowledge that that was her account and uh but she calls him and, and yells at him all time about why you know why didn't why didn't you lay up on the third hole you know or, or just what a pro needs in the middle of the round. oh yeah yeah just what he wants to hear after the round yeah great, uh, great question. so here's here's um here's thompson on skins skins is a form of amateur golf gambling term professional pot scrambling is an inconsequential form of televised golf that tickles uh, those who crave 
instant gratification like Wheel of Fortune and other quiz shows. Players are, players are asked to throw caution to the wind and go all out for entertainment instead of grinding at their trade. The, the form bears little resemblance to the real thing. The best news that will ever come out of it is that for some future champion to turn his back on such appearances as beneath his or her dignity. So that's that's now, Thompson's. Now, that's Bobby Thompson's. Jones played a lot of exhibitions in his life, and I mean, he never played skins, but I, an I, I. That's different. I know, but it was <laughs> like, all in the name of promoting the game, and and I, I that's that's tough. I mean, that's uh, wheel of fortune. I love that though. What a, you can't yeah, deny his turn of phrase, though, can you? Wheel I, of fortune. I, I say, I think, I think the skins game gave the 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 sport uh, a, a wonderful. At least in the United States, uh, on Thanksgiving weekend, uh, for for a while, and then it ran its course. But it gave the game a a great jolt and kind of gave a a new newfound love for some of those Trevinos and Palmers and and even Watson and and certainly Nicholas and created some exciting moments. And it's funny, isn't uh, it? It's a, it, 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 I don't it, know. It didn't I, take I off down here, did it, Clates? We had a few up at. Laguna Key. We had a, well, Norman and Norman and Finchie. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah. Well, now the money. I mean, at, at a point where the money just didn't mean anything to him, that's when it kind of started to die. But when Jack Nicholas made a putt for two hundred fifty thousand dollars and it meant something to him, it was pretty exciting. Um, so, and there was something else about it too. It was just they went to some unusual courses and they uh, were mic'd, you know, which we we'd never heard them talk before. There were there were elements to it that that were um, that were compelling, and I—I I mean, I get what Peter's saying, but sometimes the game does have to find ways to be entertaining. It just—I don't know. He wouldn't uh, see. I, I kind of in his camp in the sense that I—I I think Shell's wonderful world of golf probably did more in that sense. But you're right. Skins has always struck me as a bit America centric, Jeff. It's a yeah. Said it just didn't yeah. work here, but it seemed to really sell sure. well in the states. Well, and remember, it was—it was a—it was, t- was a holiday weekend thing. Um, you know, it gave families that didn't want to sit and talk to each other something to watch. <laughs> you, you, you've got to give those kinds of things uh, some appreciation. Let's oh, go. Cool. Really last is true. Thing. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I think this might foil a plan that Clates and I have been deviously hatching for some years to move the PGA oh. around the world, including down here to Royal Melbourne, the US PGA Championship. This is doesn't look like it's going to happen. Lots of big money poured into it this week. Tell us about the CBS ESPN deal. Uh, for the PGA, and does that scupper our plans to maybe have the PGA travel internationally, which I think, as Clates has pointed out before, every four years, would do wonderful things for the game. Talk about growing the game. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it, 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 would, it, still, it still would be a fantastic concept. And, and what's interesting in this new deal, so they have, they've kept CBS, who didn't do a darn thing in their contract until the last two years, and they finally started improving their production values when the contract got near the end. And then ESPN now has all this money to try to build up their streaming service. Uh, they were they lost interest in golf. Uh, now now they love it again because they just want content. And it's like the Fox thing with the USGA a few years ago. They just want content. The difference here is there are you know Fox has gotten settled in whatever you want to say about what they do, but they have adapted. ESPN already has people who like golf, so that's good. And then ESPN has some really great ways of when they get involved in something they they they're all in and so like with their Wimbledon coverage and some things they've they've really gone pretty deep and and so it's going to be really fun to watch them clash <laughs> with CBS that sort of 
very conservative. I mean, ESPN has the, the the featured group and all that coverage for the entire 11 years. CBS has no plans, apparently, to develop their own um, serious uh, broadcasting uh, elements, uh, alternative feeds online. So That's weird, isn't it, Jeff? Don't you think that, sorry, isn't that weird? That's a bit weird, isn't it, for a media company to say, 11 years, we're not going to do this? Jesus. I know. They're just handing it over to ESPN, and, and yeah, now there are outs and things, but it's really weird. First, I don't get the 11 year thing. Um, just, just in the way things are changing so much, I don't think it's good for either party, but that's, they seem to think the other way. Um, but what's sad is that had ESPN just gotten the whole thing, um, that, that ESPN is just the kind of network, uh, even more than my friends at NBC golf channel, who I think would have been open to the international thing done right. Uh, and I think they were, uh, but ESPN is actually the the one that would go almost to the next level and say we love that we because they, they also have financial reasons they have a broader although um, Golf Channel owner Comcast now is the primary owner of Sky so <laughs> they have a um, and that's been the PGA has been hideously neglected over in the UK and and in Europe but so I think what's sad is ESPN. Is is uh, is the one entity that could have um, uh, imagined and and worked with because they do the Australian Open uh, uh, tennis as well, uh, and they do a great job with it, and they make it a whole event in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, you know, they work with it, they go with it. You know, is my point. And they could have they could have done that with an international PGA Championship, and so uh, it's it's. Um, not that I mean they've got venues locked in through 2030 now, which is also awful, and and most of them are, um, you know, not in a time zone that that would have increased the audience. So anyway, that's that's kind of the interesting ramification of this on the, on the inter, international. So, so the PGA uh, Championship each year, Jeff, is known particularly in America as the worst of the four broadcasts of the four majors. It's got more ads, less golf, oh, all the rest of it. Just oh, terrible. Definitely. So, definitely. Is is that likely to change? That doesn't affect us here. Obviously, we get the international fee, but more importantly, the PGA was not on pay or terrestrial television in the UK this yeah, year. You had to sign up to a subscription service that most people didn't even know about that didn't work. to be able to see. Well, of course, it didn't work because there was no promo before. Is that likely to change? Are there any potential benefits? There were no. They were they were light on the details of uh, the, the number one thing, which is is limiting the commercial breaks uh that that has made the players and the masters the two best broadcasts here so that wasn't announced um yeah they really there it was there was nothing mentioned in the in the announcement about how this is gonna uh, be good for the viewer and uh that that's that's a shame but they don't you know a bunch of executives don't really think that way they're just excited they just made a deal they're thinking about how they're going to spend their bonus and um all that different stuff they're not really thinking of the viewer which is kind of typical in these things unfortunately in the in especially in golf it seems uh although i will say i i will say i don't know what uh golf channel nbc's plans were had they won the bid but i know they had put together um they had put together something that was was uh, uh addressing some of these things i have no idea what um and we'll never know now but they they certainly were uh they were thinking that way, but I mean, just to, to the point on contracts. Uh, so, what co- what coverage do you guys get for the Ryder Cup? Uh, we had an international fee. 
Okay. I think did. See, the NBC. So NBC signed a new contract in 2013, and it and and the and the coverage was just blasted here, um, because there are no, you know, it was signed at a time before about two or three big things have really changed in golf television, and so uh, there were too many commercials, and they front loaded them at a time in the middle of the night when people stayed up to watch, and it made people mad, and then they don't have any feeds where you could just go and watch one match, and um, so it's already looking like it's. And that's just becoming something that's so valuable to people, especially on the Friday when people are at work. Golf nuts will do it, won't they, Jeff? They'll watch in the morning before the TV coverage comes on. If, if you're a golf nut, particularly oh. if you've got some favourite golfers, I mean, you put the high pro- there's always high profile Thursday and Friday morning because they do the, the opposite tee times. So. And the Masters is the one, you know, Amen Corner Live started this, and it's now that the technology works for these other entities, they've figured it out. You know, the Masters was ahead of its time with the technology and obviously spent a lot. They had the money to spend to, to get it right, but they, like them, they, they, you know, typical of them, they do it right. And now, though, that effect is spilling out into these other tournaments where people are now more comfortable watching our feed online or having it on in the background. And um, so that's why it's, again, astounding that, that ESPN will control the featured group and the holes and, and all that for all four rounds for all 11 years, but they won't have the actual broadcast. So it's just, it's, um, you know, typical we're in golf where we're, uh, we're always a little bit behind and, and some of these things get exposed. So uh, the people at ESPN will be thinking they might be onto the winner there, Jeff, because in 11 years time, it may well be that the broadcast itself is of less value than the online Featured group coverage. That's oh, uh, a likely yeah. outcome. You know, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what what clauses they have that prevent. So, like, say, can 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 the um, you know the featured group coverage be the last group? Um, and and then and if it is, does is there a point where ESPN has to shut it off so that people are forced to watch the CBS feed? You know, I'm sure there's stuff in the fine print that uh, that protects them. But it just still makes you uh, wonder. Again, like CBS did a great job this year at the PGA and unveiling, rolling out all this stuff. New, some of it worked, some of it didn't. But thank God they tried. And, and it's like, okay, now they got the contract again, and it sounds like they're just gonna. <laughs> they had to. Do Jeff, the contract was thing. up. <laughs> they had to do yeah. something. That just, now we, we whatever we got this year is what we're going to have for the next eleven years. That would be the yeah. It could be. I mean, we will find out. But it's and it's, so stuff like that. We just go, oh man. And then back to your original point, though. It just, you know. But the PGA of America is to blame too. That they were the ones that could have uh, really forced the international thing on their members and on on the the television network and said, this is for the good of the game, and we are. We'll try it. By the way, all I had to do was try it. You know. <laughs> try it once and uh, see what happens. But they're so locked in down the road and all that's they're locked into got to be in the United States and not just um, the good of the game, Shaq. Good of the PGA clates. I mean, how would the PG the yeah. US PGA's reputation, the tournament's reputation, have been boosted had they come and played at Royal Melbourne once? <laughs> like Paul Walton Heath or yeah, you know, anywhere. That not just not just Australia. I mean, obviously, we stand to benefit. Corona or you know, no, but Australia was a natural. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's just so bizarre. I've never understood the because they've always needed something to set themselves apart. They've always been the fourth major for the because they're they're just the tour event on steroids kind of thing. That's not fair, but and there's no 
there's certainly no love for it internationally. I'm not sure about America, but no one cares about the PGA, yeah. certainly in Australia. The, the Masters is massive and the, the two Opens, obviously, but it would be their one chance to... How's the Australian Open tennis did? I mean, that was a dreadful event in the 70s. I mean, I remember going and watching it when I was a kid. It was at Keong, which is just down the road from where I live. It was a lousy stadium, grass courts. No one came and played. Ball didn't play. Um, and, that, and they moved to a new stadium and it's a you know, it's the equal of the other Grand Slams now. It's a great event because they made it. But, but you know, I'm sure they could do the same thing here with the, well, with the PGA. I mean, the, the, the Australian Open Tennis proves that you can take a substandard, lousy Grand Slam and make it great if you innovate. And yeah. to me, the, the, the one chance the PGA has to break itself out from the pack is to occasionally go around the world. It's got the other added benefit, though, doesn't it, Shaq, that every country that they'd be likely to visit has a local PGA. The Australian PGA would be chipping at the bit to bring you there. There's a natural brotherhood. There's a fantastic marketing message to be sent there. I know. The US PGA is the big brother, and it goes out every four years and helps out some of its little brothers internationally to promote the game and their members. It's an extraordinary missed opportunity. Yep. Well, if you saw... Yeah, but if you saw the people who were yeah, at the Ryder Cup, by the way, I don't know if you saw those the legions of people inside the ropes. Uh, and I think that was a big big problem for the U.S., having wives, girlfriends, nieces, nephews. I mean, they had family members, parents. Um, but then all these PGA of America uh, people uh, walking out there, and and if if you if you saw the group, you'd understand. They 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 don't want to. It 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 was a big deal just to go to France. <laughs> they're they're not they're not into branching out much. And is Seth uh, War the a, man to change that? Shaq is he no, the man who might, no, who might change? I don't think so. No, no. I think he's. I don't think he's in this for the long haul. I, I'm not sure. My my view is he's in this to to eventually help merge with the PGA Tour. People think that's nuts, but. I don't see why on earth he would want to do this for a long time. He made a lot of money. He's a member. Have you ever looked at the list of clubs he's a member yeah, of? You ran us through it last time. It's pretty. He's not going to struggle to fill his time, is he? If he doesn't have something to nah. go to work every day, nah. he's got plenty of golf that he can play. So trying to convince a bunch of uh, of older golf pros uh, to, to that how cool it would be to to go to uh, a, a foreign. I mean, I, by the way, they could go. Uh, I mean, the idea was to go internationally in the Olympic years. They still have two dates open in 25 and 26, but I'm pretty sure they, they've already figured out where they're going on those. Um, and those aren't Olympic years, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, the idea was the, – the, the, by the way, and the idea is still going to look great when we get to the next Olympic year and we go through the same crap again about there's just too much golf, there's too much going on, guys, we, we – you know. This is I know I'm not going to Tokyo. It's too far to go in the middle of of uh, I've just played the majors. I'm shot. I'm not doing it. Yeah, we're gonna have the same thing again. And and um, and and I don't know what if playing the PGA in February would have would have solved that, but it's it's gonna continue. I don't know. Well, we we know one thing, Clates. We're not going to see the PGA at Royal Melbourne before 2031. That's our next hope. It would seem so. No, but we might see. I reckon we'll, thirty-two. I reckon we'll see though. We'll 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 see the first combined uh, national open played combined men and women's event at Royal Melbourne. My bet is we'll see an Australian men's and women's open played oh, really? on the same golf course the same oh, week okay. at the same time. Yep. The Vic Open model you're talking about, Clates? The Vic Open model, which it's is going to be a great tournament. It's a yep, no-brainer. 
Mm. That the yeah, I, I I would bet, but by twenty twenty four we'll see the combined men LPGA certainly event. Not sure if it goes with the European Tour or it just uh, it's an Australian Tour Australian Open, but I would almost guarantee that'll be played. Something's got to happen with the Australian Open in that way, doesn't it, Clay? This year is the first year we've really lost for a long time. Um, and it's no knock, but Brant Snedeker and Matt Kuchar are the two draw cards. Day, well, Scott, got a, Leishman a few more. not playing. Yeah, they've got you know Keegan Bradley's playing. Yeah, you know, there are a few. I heard you know Nick Watt, Nick Watt, he might be coming down. It's a better field than people are talking about. Sure. The, 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 the disaster is that no Scott, Day and Leishman, and they've all got... Well, this year? Yeah, yeah, this year. Well, Day's huh. wife's having a baby, so he's got a legitimate excuse. Adam's had a – he's got the hump with Golf Australia, so he's just taken his bat and ball and gone home. Um, he's not playing at all here this year, though, is he, Scott? He's not playing no, the PGA or the no. Australian. So I, I just – to me, it's so disappointing that put your personal beefs aside and come and play. It's the one tournament of the year. That you, outside of the majors, you need to come and play and support it. But anyway, you know they've got a decent field of um, you know non superstar Americans, but who are really good players. You know, really they're terrific players. So, so, I was yeah. thinking more broadly, but, I suppose, the Australian. I mean, can it survive as just a standalone tournament, Clay? It just isn't attached to anything like the PGA Tour or the European Tour. That that really is a bit of you know, Cam Davis won it last year, and whilst he's gone on to earn his card on the PGA Tour. Not a lot of that has been because of his play at the Australian. He didn't get no. anything for it in that sense. He got the check, but nothing in terms of career, which is far more important for these. Yeah, you know, I think he gets a game at Memorial and a couple of those World Championship events, but no, not much else. But but I think that the success of the Victorian Open in playing the combined men and women's event, two two events in one, it's been such a, you know, with no fields really. I mean, a few Laura Davis and Carrie Webb played one, and Minji Lee and. Stephen Lenny was a you know, he was a draw card for the men's event. So so with no field, they created a great event that the locals love to go and watch because it was in a country town about an hour and a half out of Melbourne, Jeff. But if I think if you combine the men's and women open w- with a really good field, and you'll certainly get a great field of women, yeah, then then you create an, an event that people want to go and see. You know, that's more than just the Australian Open golf. It's it's a, like like the tennis is here. Yeah. People go to the tennis here and don't watch much tennis they, they go to the event they take instagram right. pictures in the village and they just hang around the vibe and the, the whole thing so so golf needs to create the the, the successful event that the australian Open tennis became mm. well that's cool i hope that happens and i suspect being able to watch you know whoever the cameron davis and curtis luck and whoever might be the and cameron champ come down the last group and win the men's event, and then in the very next group, you've got NG Lee and Lexi Thompson and So Young Yu playing. And you know, ten minutes later, deciding the women's event. And if you if one year they did the Vic Open, you have two playoffs, and it's kind of a it's a great event to be able to sit and watch. It's fantastic. Honestly, Shaq, if you need a, a reference, I can do it to you. But you should convince the people at Golf Week to let you come down for the Vic Open one year. It is an ex- I've never been to a golf tournament like it. It's the most huh. fun you've ever had at a golf tournament in your life ever. It is fantastic. Um, oh. Just the two of them together, oh. and it is phenomenal. It really is. And it's it, <clears throat> Clates is right, and they've done it the right way because they've let it build Clates. They didn't try and yeah. make it this thing straight off. They started in 2012. They weren't sure if it would work. They were in metropolitan Melbourne at two different courses. 
that wasn't as good, but they kept the idea. They moved it down to the one venue that's got 36 holes, and, and they've really created a carnival. It's sort of Australian golf's carnival. You don't want to miss well, it yeah. if you're in the golf industry because everyone who's in, in golf is there. It's a little bit like the Masters in that way, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's laid back. There's no ropes. You can walk the fairways. There's dogs out watching, <laughs> wandering around yeah. with their owners. It's, it is phenomenal. So uh, I'll cool. write you a letter to your editors at Golf Week, and they can pay for you to come. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they'll love it. It'll be yeah. uh, we've taken too much of your time. The Vic Open will be on by the time we're finished at this rate. Gentlemen, thank you. Shaq, great to talk to you. <laughs> Good to get some insights from on the ground. And some of that behind-the-scenes stuff, of the, I didn't realise Justine Reed was an advice giver from outside the ropes. That's fantastic stuff. Oh, yeah. I feel oh, yeah. Knowing that. Uh, thank oh. you for your time. Inside the ropes too. <laughs> Shouldn't she just get back on the bag? Uh, maybe. maybe well, he's not that may happen. She'd have to fire her brother. So there's yeah. that. You know, that's a little awkward. Yeah, but not uh, not out of the realm. I was going to say it's not necessarily out of the realms of possibility. Thanks for your time today, mate. Great. To chat. All right. Thank you. So you at the Vic Open and Clay's great to talk to you and you and I will no talk again shortly. But thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Rod. Episode 83 of State of the Game, all done in the books. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking. We'll be back to do it all again soon here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.